This is Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And we are Echoes of the Missing and Murdered. Hello, 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 everybody. Hello. Welcome to our new podcast. Welcome. So we're a new podcast um, that focuses primarily and in fact solely on missing and murdered Indigenous people and their families. And, and we, our goal is to assist those families that are dealing with these, with their loved ones um, and their stories and help them to get their, their voice out because oftentimes um, it, a lot goes on un, unsaid, unheard. Well, and there's still a lot of issue too with these cases not being as well known as they should, right? Yeah. With the residential schools coming out when it came out and where we're trending to now, I think we're coming into a time where these voices matter even more now. They've always mattered, but now they, they really matter and they really need to be heard. And so that's what we're doing here. We're providing that platform for them. Uh, and we have had quite the response, <laughs> hey ladies, yes. to families wanting our help. And it's been overwhelming and I am so grateful that these families are taking times out of their day to message us and that they want to get their family stories out. And I'm grateful that we have the ability to do that for them. Yeah. And this podcast kind of just came about naturally in another podcast we were working on now we're not going to mention that because it's not important but it just the way that it came came about um we we, we were just doing it like any we other just true it, yeah. crime podcast but i wanted to stick more towards indigenous cases because i myself am indigenous for the audience i'm part of the cote first nation and i'm metis and christy lee is metis megan is the whitest of the whites <laughs> Um, diversity <laughs> we're very diverse but we care and we have had our own struggles and we have our own traumas and we understand what talking can do to heal or help heal and I think um, a goal we've always had as a group of three girls that are passionate about true crime and the true crime world and podcasting is um, like how can we help people and you know un unfortunately it's it's not only do these cases um and indigenous cases they go on the media for a, a hot minute and then it's gone you don't hear about it again but oftentimes they're not even investigated properly there's there's a lot of steps that are missed and i'm not saying all the time but know. actually a lot more of the time than you probably know yeah. and and that is another part of what makes talking about these cases so important i had the pleasure of speaking with a mr paul tuckero now, for anyone that knows the case of Amber Tuckero, we will get into it. Uh, he found me on LinkedIn and, and we discussed having an interview and going over the case. He listened to the episode uh, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with him a couple of nights ago and going over my questions, letting him talk to me about what he wanted uh, to talk about, what, what message he wants to get out. And one of his biggest messages right now are holding the RCMP accountable because you know what they did. And they're one indigenous family that has actually 
said to the RCMP, no, you didn't do something right and investigated it and got it put on black and white. So it ties in really well. We have both the same kind of mission statement yeah. and we just want to get the message out. We want families to know, like if you're having issues in any part of your investigation and you're indigenous, you're not by yourself. Mm -hmm. There are so many more, and there are things that you can do. And the more we talk about it, the more the word gets out, the more people are held accountable the sooner this issue will go away. Absolutely. And that being said, um, we are not journalists. We are not private investigators, but we will absolutely always do our due diligence to present to you factual, truthful information in the most respectful way possible. Well, and I think it's important to note too, what we're doing differently here in comparison to the other podcasts or sister podcasts is that we're actually working with the families that are affected. Yeah. They're reaching out to us. They're providing us the information. They're providing us answers to our questions. So we are very much trying to stick to the family and the family's voice. We're going to try to keep our opinions and everything out of this as much as possible. This is about the cases mm -hmm. and the families affected by the cases. It's really important that we get these cases out to you as fast as we possibly can because in I, my personal opinion, what I have seen is that in cases that involve Indigenous people, it's usually the point where it's too late, when yeah. they all of a sudden become like big news. It's when, unfortunately, a missing victim becomes a murdered victim. So if we can get those cases out to you early on, then maybe we can help get people looking at them more closely. Exactly. So that maybe there's not so many fatalities, right? But yeah. on that also, like, that's another reason why I'm really excited that Paul was our first yes. because he is setting an example to be, he's gone through the missing part of it. He's gone through the murdered part of it. And now he's there. How many years after the investigation with no answers, but they investigated the RCMP got answers and everything. But there is so much more happening now because now we're in the part where we're going beyond that because we're no longer accepting that it's not okay to just not have answers. Yes. It's, it's no more of the no answers and hiding shit and like residential schools are out. Everything else is coming out now. So ladies, are we ready to get into our first episode of Echoes of the Missing and Murdered? Yes, I'm very excited to hear this interview. Excellent. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about Amber Alyssa Tuckero. Amber was born on January 3rd, 1990. She was a mother to an adorable baby boy, Jacob. Amber was a member of the Miccosee Cree First Nation and lived with her mother, Vivian, here uh, from now on is going to be known as Tootsie, which Tootsie. is her nickname. Uh, she lived there with Tootsie in Fort McMurray along with the rest of her family. Amber was independent, hard-headed, and persistent. And on August 17, 2010, her, her 14-month-old son Jacob, and her quote-unquote friend, Evangeline McLean, all took flight from Fort McMurray to Edmonton, Alberta. The trio would stay just outside of Edmonton at Nickskew Place Motel. Fast forward to the evening of the next day, August 18th, 2010. Amber, for reasons unknown, decides to go into the city of Edmonton that evening instead of waiting until the next day to go with her cohort, Amber and her son. Why? We don't know. She leaves her son Jacob in the care of Evangeline at the motel and leaves to hitchhike into the city. Amber would never return. 
By the next day, Evangeline reaches out to Tootsie Tuckero about how she is missing and left her with Jacob. Here's where I'm going to let you listen to the part of the interview with Paul where we start out the interview and then we go into the conversation about this Evangeline McLean individual. Good evening, listeners. I am Auntie B, and I am here with Paul Tuckero, brother of Amber and also uncle to Jacob. Welcome, Paul. And thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, Paul, you're joining us from where exactly? I know you're in Alberta. I'm in Fort Chippewa, Alberta. We're like uh, about an hour flight from Fort McMurray. Okay, okay, right on. So before we begin, um, I know our audience and my hosts have one very important question that they want to ask you and we're all curious about, and that is how is Jacob doing today, Amber's son? Well, Jacob's getting older, and he's getting smarter, and he's going to be a teenager here pretty soon. You know, as a family here, we're just trying to uh, do what's best for him, buy him, and do what's best for my sister. So let's talk about Amber's case. Um, I want to kind of take it from the beginning. What we know is that Amber went on this trip with her friend, who now we know is Evangeline McLean, correct? Yes. So when we did our episode uh, for our listeners out there, we didn't actually have Evangeline's name. <clears throat> I found it very difficult to find any information on the friend that was with Amber. She it, walk me through kind of what happened, like what brought on the trip with uh, Amber and her friend and, and how mm. are Amber and Evangeline connected? Well, my sister was in Fort McMurray. She was staying with my mom. She was trying to get her place her own place. So she went to the Unity House and that's for like people, for women that want to get some help or whatever. And then by going there, you will get a place faster. So that's what my sister did. And then there she met, uh, she met Evangeline. Okay. So she met her at this place for housing for women that need help. Yeah. And you know, they, what they talked about, we don't know. Next thing you know, my mom said they were coming to the, her apartment and they were going to, Evangeline or they were on a computer or whatever and they said their flights were booked and my mom was like where, where are you going or oh, we're going to Edmonton and taking Jacob and she said that she told my mom that she was going to be just a few days or whatever and not to worry about it but we don't know anything about Evangeline other than she was she was at the Unity House and you know we hear a lot of stories after the fact and so it's kind of how she how she came about in this whole whole thing so i didn't know evangeline very long then nope we, we were shocked that uh you know it must have been something um she must have been pretty convincing or something because usually my sister doesn't go anywhere you know sure she's a young girl whatever at the time and must have been something pretty darn good because you know she she took jacob too and you know jacob was her her everything and she would never ever put Jacob in harm's way in in any way. You gotta wonder what that conversation was between Amber and Evangeline. If maybe they just became fast friends, <clears throat> or like if Evangeline had some kind of offer that you know was to bring Amber to Edmonton. From the, I didn't realize that they hadn't known each other for very long. I thought they were friends for a little bit at least. Nope. Nope. No, because my, my sister only went to the Unity House. Not she wasn't even there. Maybe I don't know. My mom my mom would know for sure. No, she's just not 
she's not the type of friend that my sister would uh, hang around with. So Evangeline right now, she is where? She's in Nova Scotia, correct? I believe I yeah, was able she's to talk somewhere to in, uh She's somewhere back east living her life, you know. She has a son of her of her own there and, you know, life's not fair yeah. just the way it works out here. So my next question, I guess, in regards to Evangeline would be what was her response to Amber going missing? Like what I wasn't able to really confirm <clears throat> through my internet sleuthing, if you will, was how uh, Evangeline got Jacob home. Well, what happened was that that night my mom was getting trying to get hold of Evangeline and my sister. My sister wasn't wasn't answering, and my mom got hold of Evangeline's number, whatever you know. So my mom was like kind of worried, started to worry then. And the next thing you know, Evangeline tried to say that she um that my my sister took off, she robbed her, made up a, you know some excuses or whatever. The next I th I think it was the next day or or that same night or the next morning that Evangeline called my mom and said that. Uh, Amber never come back and she had uh she had Jacob and she was she didn't want to keep him or couldn't call child child welfare to come and get her, which she did. And my mom was on the phone and said, Don't, you know, we have friends in Edmonton that will go pick up Jacob, whatever, and that didn't that didn't happen. They took they took Jacob and my mom had a hell of a time to get to get him back. Because Jacob went to child services? Yep. Yeah, and then we found out after the fact that we know once we our family filed this the CRCC complaint, we got some answers back, and from that, we found out that Evangeline was supposed to be a person of interest. It's right there, black and white. But then every poster and every news release that RCMP released, there was no mention of, hey, by the way, you know, Evangeline McLean is a person of interest. But then again, you know, she's uh, you know, she's blue eyes, blonde hair, and she's white. Yeah. If she was the one missing, I'm sure this would be solved by now. Yippers. Yeah. Okay, so this CRC report that you just mentioned, is that something that would be you'd be able to provide me just as like a side <clears throat> so I can put it in the sources kind of thing? You could probably find online. Um, they had some findings and recommendations, and we released that to the to the media when we had a press conference. But the report itself is over 120 pages. Oh, geez. And and the thing is, we um, for everything that we said that they did, it got investigated, and it said what the RCMP was supposed to do, and it shows what they didn't do, and then it says uh, what needs to be changed so it doesn't happen again. So what sets us apart from other families, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help as many families as we can. That we're the only family that ever filed a complaint against the RCMP. And we got answers. You know, you hear about it. You read about it every day in the news. Oh, people go missing. You know, I was just reading an article here tonight at the gym. And they're saying, oh, family, uh, someone went missing. But, of course, the RCMP isn't listening to the family or ain't giving them updates. And whereas we, you know, we got it in black and white where where they messed up. So they can't, they can't deny it. And right now we haven't released the full report to the public because we're working on some uh, on on some things. Absolutely. So in 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 due time, we probably will. We might we might even release it once we have our our press conference here all uh, all planned out and we're ready to Absolutely. go. So that's Paul. Uh, a little bit more on Evangeline. I'm going to get to another part of his interview here in a moment, but I don't want our listeners to get confused and lost in the case. So at this point. 
Evangeline has essentially called Tootsie up and said, hey, your daughter left last night. She's missing, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm taking the kid to welfare, figure it out. And is now back at home living her life. Um, when Tootsie filed uh, a missing persons report initially, it was well after the 48 hours that we that are so vital and so important in a missing persons case. And just to be clear, in your um, research prior to speaking with Paul, <clears throat> in your interview, you had said that in your research, you never saw Evangeline's name never, anywhere. Never. I even went on like a search for it. Right. And I couldn't find her name anywhere. Amazing. Still can't. So, yeah. The only reason I ever found it out was because I'm now friends with the family online and right. they provided me that information. Um, when Tootsie filed her initial complaint, uh, she was basically greeted with the general, oh, they have to be missing 24 hours. You know, she's probably out partying, out for recreation, what have you. Uh, she'll show up tomorrow. So it wouldn't actually be until August 20th, after those crucial 48 hours, that she'd be put on the Ladue County's missing persons report. Now, three weeks into Amber's disappearance, a media relations officer even with Leduc RCMP was quoted in a local newspaper saying, quote, we don't have any reason to believe she is in danger. We know that she's in the Edmonton area, unquote, with no actual evidence. Now, I, I'm going to go back to the interview uh, here with Paul for a little bit, and we're going to talk about the RCMP, we're going to talk about the missing persons report, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the investigation. Uh, what I would like to touch on is the response to the family. I'm grateful now that there's systems out there that are holding the RCMP accountable and doing these investigations and putting it into black and white. But what was the initial response from the RCMP or the Edmonton or the no, Leduc no. Police Service? Yeah, Leduc. Leduc. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. You know, they, believe it or not, it took them four months from, from when my sister start, went missing until they started investigating. Four months. You know what? And I always say this to my mom. I always say, you know what? If we did nothing, my sister would will still be laying in a field over there. And it's only because we had, you know, we had support from different people. We had resources where they were able to help us. And because of everybody that supported us, you know, here... Here we are today. Was it true that they got rid of her personal belongings and never did give them back to the family? Yeah. They they threw them in the garbage. It's like it was nothing. They it got it got I think I believe it was like well, around two months before it was even picked up. And they wanted my mom to identify the my sister's belongings by uh through email. And next thing you know, it was um Chucked in the garbage. And what was, what was the excuse that was given? Excuse was the, the officer should have did this, should have did that. But oops, we're sorry. So That's just kind of not even. Yeah, and then you know what? And, and you know what? When my sister stopped, we'll never know now if there's any DNA, if she changed her clothes or anything, you know, it could, because it got chucked in the garbage. So my question would be, did they get rid of her clothing and personal belongings before it was found out that she was actually murdered? Or, like, was she still missing when they got rid of her stuff? Well, according to the timeline, yes. What about this um, 
she got taken off the missing persons list. Yeah, but my mom, they told my mom, you know, they would have to physically see her. You know, they would have to, and, and that's what they do to us. They do that to a lot of people. They, they, they make it sound so good. And in my sister's case, they said, yeah, you know what? Somebody seen her, supposedly seen my sister in a gas station, and that was good enough for them to take my sister off the list. And do you know then, if there was actually, like, any requests for CCTV footage or anything like that to confirm? Nothing. They just took somebody's, some... some The word of someone. Yeah. And it took my mom a month, a month or a little over a month to get... She had to fight to get my sister back on the list. So, in that, we... I discussed with Paul, from what you heard, kind of some of the issues that they had in the investigation... Okay, so it took four months for the RCMP to begin their investigation on on this. And in that time, the family was basically just doing their own sleuthing, if you will. Good good choice of words to pick that up from you. Um, Wow, that is... Insane? That is unacceptable. Yeah. Unreal. And he's talking about this 120-page report of basically an outline of, of everything they did and didn't do. So yes. Yeah. And this report, this CRCC, CRCC report. Yeah. And um, just for our listeners out there, um, the civilian review and complaints commission for the RCMP, also known as the CRCC um, is an, actually an independent agency and they were created by parliament in 1988. The commission ensures that public complaints made about the conduct of the RCMP members are examined fairly and impartially. Good information to know. And I know that's one of Paul's major messages is yeah. knowing what this CRCC is and yeah. what it can do for families that feel like they are in Paul's situation. And I think that's in, in, it's important to know that it is a separate entity from the yes. RCMP because yes. I, I imagine families that are trying they're to scared. reach out to the RCMP, not only scared, but, but frustrated yeah. and feeling like they're hitting a, a brick wall yeah. if they're not getting anywhere. So maybe feeling like, well, what's the point in filing a complaint or whatever, yeah. but knowing that it's a separate entity and, and it sounds like they're doing right by Paul and his family. So there's definitely more to be seen, which I know is more about the conference that his family is looking at holding, which we'll have more information on, not only for ourselves, but for our audience as well when it's available. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to go back to Amber. So we've left Amber now. Uh, she's left Jacob and Evangeline at the hotel, and she's hitchhiked to go into town. Mm-hmm. And it's the evening time. So not long after leaving this Nixon Place motel, Amber accepts a ride from a stranger, a man in a pickup truck. Now, during this ride, a call would take place on Amber's phone. It is unknown who called whom, but the call was recorded between Amber's brother, who at the time was incarcerated in Edmonton's Remand Center. Morning, you guys. Uh, I'm going to play the voicemail here now. Uh, The recording is of Amber's last known 17 minutes of life. And this clip is evidence of Amber knowing something wasn't right in that vehicle or with that man. And you can hear her getting more and more upset. If you were sensitive to these types of things, you have now been warned. Where are we by? We're just... Yeah, 
after this audio was released on September 1st, 2012, horseback riders would find Amber's remains on a rural property near Leduc County. She was verified by quote unquote dental records. I'll go into, you'll find out about the quote unquote dental mm -hmm. records when I go on to Paul's interview more. Um, but a little fact, you guys, Amber was found almost 17 minutes away from Nick's Scoop Place Motel. That's and that happens to be the same duration of the phone call with her brother. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Unreal. The male suspect uh, says in the audio that he's taking her into the city of Edmonton. That's where she wanted to go. However, if you know the area, they're actually on gravel roads. And there's no gravel roads that actually go into Edmonton. There's more gravel roads in the rural areas around that mm -hmm. surround Edmonton, right? And I need to emphasize this again. The recording of the male's voice is the male suspect believed to have murdered Amber. He has not been apprehended. And as far as we know, he is still out there preying on innocent, beautiful women. I'm going to play the next part of the interview with Paul, where we start off by kind of discussing him doing this for the first time. And then we go into the voicemail and how it played into the investigation. Uh, this is the first time I've ever done a podcast where I'm answering questions like, you know, I reach out to some people, you know, just get the vibe or whatever. So I was like, but this is the first time I'm I'm actually doing this. So, and I'm, how and how are you feeling about it so far? Not excited, I guess, but I'm kind of uh I'm happy because you know other people are going to hear what happened. Where, which is good about it is you know, somebody's asking me questions and a lot of people got questions that I want to know this, I want to know that, and here I am, I'm going to answer, answer them. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. We try to, uh, try to look at our questions from how we feel, because we're just three regular people. Uh, I'm the Indigenous advocate, and I, we're asking questions that I think everyone's asking, but no one's answering in the media. Yeah, like, like I read a lot of, uh, like I read a lot of um, online online stuff about my sister. I listen to a lot of other podcasts. You know, you know, we're we're grateful that people are taking the time to talk about my sister. But you know, some so we're some of the stuff that they're saying is like stuff that they're able to find out that we're not able to. We didn't know, and some stuff is just um, isn't true. Would you like to take some time to clear up what you've come across that isn't true? Well, one of the things was a lot of people think that it, it was me that was in jail. It wasn't me. Her bio, that's who she was talking to her uh, her biological brother. Um. Well, there we go. We got that cleared up audience. So, you know, Paul Tuckero is not the brother that she was speaking to at the Remen Center. So get that out of your heads. 
Um, hey, good segue into my next question for you. Um, I kind of want to talk about the voicemail uh, that Amber left uh, for that brother. So for our audience, Paul asked me to do some investigation into uh, how the RCMP go about getting these logs, these voicemail logs, call logs, whatever, from uh, prisons, from incarceration centers, uh, like for this one, the remand center. Um, what I was able to find out is when the RCMP or police services are going to, say, the remand center, uh, it's, it's based off of the policies of the center itself. So if they get rid of the tapes, the logs, after 90 days, they're gone, they're discarded. So Paul did some investigating on his end. Uh, and Paul, you were able to confirm that the remand center gets rid of them in 90 days, correct? Exactly. And how I just phoned, I phoned her one day and I got a hold of someone. I got to talking to them and I got them to say some stuff. And like, oh yeah, after 90 days, it's purged. It's, that's what they said, it's gone, it's gone forever. So I was like, okay, you know, and I said, um, so now when they start asking me questions and I want to know, I start asking some harder questions, they're like, uh, you know, took my name and number and I talked to the boss and they come back and said, um, oh, I'm sorry, but I can't give you no more information. You have to talk to the investigative officer. I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I, I got what I wanted to know. After nine days, it's gone. Like, it can't be retrieved or nothing. It's like deleted forever. I did confirm that. If, if prisons get rid of tapes in 90 days they get rid of them in 90 days they don't exist yeah. after that so so our question is how did they number one thing is how did they get a hold of the recording they would have had to have a warrant for that i confirmed that as well they would yeah. have had to have a warrant to get the recording yeah but but this is a this is a the tricky part here so my sister went missing on august 13th 18th and then I believe it was December 4th. And I think it was like, I think it worked out to like 113 days or something around there. So if they only start investigation four months later, which is well outside of the 113 days, then if the recording is there, if it's been deleted, then how did how did they get it when, by then when they started invest, investigating, it was already deleted. And then when I said that, they said, oh, we oh you got to we had to phone the states i think it was telemate or whatever so i phoned the states and they said no sorry um this is the states anything to do with canada you got to talk to canada it doesn't make sense that you'd have to call the states i don't see the connection there <laughs> yeah so and that's what i said so so to me there's something not right and i did some more research online and if if you're in a jail or remand or whatever if it's a third party call or whatever, then you know it's um you get cut off immediately. So how did my sister Darren, you know, talk talk for so long? Well, and that's kind of uh, one thing that I've wondered is when you make a, was the call ingoing from Amber to her brother, or was it from her brother to her? Well, that's just that's just it. We don't know. So you, we can't even tell that from, we don't know if the brother called her or if Amber called him, because that's what I found a little bit weird was, feel like I've never had to call. You got to be put on a list and yeah. you got to be, you got to be uh, approved to be on a list, right? To, to be on, to be added to someone's thing. And so what we're thinking is maybe it was a th three-way call, but what are the odds 
of oh, what made them check the remand that day? And the other thing is, with the phone call, if she's talking to her brother, then if something goes wrong, and you know your sister's in trouble or anybody's in trouble, all of a sudden you're talking, and then there's some, sh- there, you know, there's some shit going down, and you're can't do nothing or whatever. Then all of a sudden the phone goes dead. You're gonna try to phone anybody and everybody to to check on whoever is in trouble. Yeah. But none of that happened. Now, how the I know the recording. Uh, there was like a minute or something like that released, but it was much longer than that. Is there anything that you can tell us about the recording that uh, ha- didn't make it into the media? Oh, it's it's a, it's about 17 minutes long, and it just there's there's not a lot of information there. It's just more or less just a conversation. Like there's no like keywords or anything that that we could you know that we could um, check into whatever. But then a lot of a lot of parts on the tape were edited out by the RCMP before it was given to you. We were never given nothing. We were only allowed to listen to it. Um, I kind of want to talk. Like I wasn't able to do as much as I wanted to because I'm not a private investigator, unfortunately. Maybe one day into this, but I do think you had mentioned you wanted to look into a private investigator. No. Yeah, I would definitely say that would be one of the first things I'd want to be looking into is how, because there's more to this voicemail. There has to be. So what's the timeline? When did the voicemail come about in comparison to like the timeline of the... Like two years later. Okay. Yes. Okay. August 28, 2012, two years. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around how other brother... Like, he would have known. Would he not have known that? Well, I think that's what Paul is saying. Is like, so are they thinking, like, that she wasn't on the other line with her? She wasn't on the phone with her brother? That it was a third party That call. it was somebody else? Yes. And because, like, he would, you think that his brother would be, like, in remand or wherever, he'd be like, I need somebody to go help my sister. She's in trouble. That's well, what he's that's saying. That's what he's saying. And yeah. even within the the two years to when this like voicemail what? came out, like he's, he's not just like, like oh hey, yeah, by, by the way, way. yeah. yeah but that's also her. the thing. So in the interview, you know, I talked about investigating for Paul and the remand center. He investigated himself, gets rid of those logs after the ninety right, days. Right. Yeah. So in ninety days from the time of that call, you guys didn't even know she was murdered yet. You were barely even acknowledging that she was missing. So how is it you have this voicemail and you have it within the 90 days before it's disposed of by the remand center and that's determined by the remand center. So if they get rid of that's up to their policies, if they say in 90 days, our our tapes and logs are gone, they're gone. Mm -hmm. There's nothing the RCMP can do about that. Um, I want to talk about theories, Uh, what the family thought kind of happened. Um, I kind of want to go into what's been already put out there into the media because there has been many theories that have come to the surface from a known sexual predator known to be in Leduc operating a horse ranch to a possible serial killer hunting in the Leduc area. Yes, that's right. I said serial killer, you guys. They do still exist, okay? Oof. Because there have been multiple missing persons reported, all on rural properties, all with the same kind of profile, all last seen in Edmonton between April of 2003 and May of 2004. All kind of found within eight kilometers of each other. Sounds sus to me. All right. 
I'm now going to play you the remainder of the interview with Paul. Uh, and we will come back after that interview and we will wrap up the case. I would like to move on to theories slash kind of suspects. Um, First and foremost, we focused in the episode on a gentleman named Pat Carson. Is What are your thoughts on Pat Carson? Do you know of him? Is he still a person of interest? Pat Carson, from what we were told by many people, was that he was looked into. He's still somewhat of a person of interest because he was supposed to give some documentation or whatever around that time, and he still hasn't done that. That's what we've been told. And that's the last that you've heard on him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was on Facebook and I was in your mom's Facebook group, the Justice for Amber Tukaro, and I came across comments about a John Roberts. Now, this one I found more interesting because I was able to investigate John Roberts a little bit. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. He gave me the heebie-jeebies. Is John Roberts in any way, shape or form connected to this case? Well, since I since I seen that thing online there, so I I know I, um I so I sent I sent an email this morning to the investigator and she hasn't gotten back to me yet to see if he's been ruled out or whatever because you know a lot of people like he he we were told that he was seen with my sister the day she went missing by three people and but for whatever for whatever reason their RCMP are saying no that's not true but you know so we're trying to get to the bottom of it. And they're they're just saying no, it's not true. Not providing a reason. Nothing. They're just trying to say that they, these people that are that are coming forward that that they that they don't want their story straight. Oh, and that's just for them to decide, I guess. And you're yeah. just supposed to believe them. Okay, no, I believe what they're supposed to do is investigate every lead. <laughs> yeah. And, and prove well, how they've done so. Well, but... I just said about these leads that they say, oh, call this number, you know. And it's funny when they did the first YouTube video for my sister, they said, "Oh, Ray Sheldon said, oh, call this number, whatever, blah blah blah. Call this number. That number doesn't even exist anymore." Then they say, "Call Crime Stoppers," and people phone Crime Stoppers. There's no follow up. People go to their local detachments, and there's no follow ups. There's not even no record, or there's no. Um, a lot of people want to know what's being done with their information, and we don't know what to tell them because. We just don't know. So when we ask them, they pass it on to us. We pass it on to the investigators. They say, oh, we're working on it. Or we, we've been lied to so much by, by the RCMP that we don't even know if they're telling us the truth or not. Well, exactly. And, and But yet they expect you, at, on the same note, to just believe them when they say, no, those leads uh, don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. But, but at the same time, you know, you got you got multiple people saying it's this it's this person, and we're like, well, who determines? It doesn't make sense. You got a lot of people coming forward, but it's like that kind of segues into my last kind of. Well, I've got a few more questions here, but I really want to know what is your gut feeling? What is Tootsie's gut feeling? What does the family think happened to Amber? Myself personally, because I can't speak for my mom or whatever. Like everybody has their own, their own thoughts, or whatever. But it's like we don't. Um, there's lots that's going on that we're not being told. 
that's what we, we believe. And why we're not being told the full story or whatever. I only ask questions. It's the same thing. Oh, you know, it's the uh, integrity of the case or whatever, or whoever they, however they say that, you know, they, they more or less tell us what, what we, what they want to tell us. But then we, we're not just sitting back and not do nothing. Like we're, we're finding out stuff and we're asking questions. And when you ask them the questions, they don't know what to say. For example, when, when my sister and I went to Edmonton, Evangeline supposedly used a stolen credit card to book their flights. Okay. So now when he met Larry P, the one officer said, yeah, when you get, once we get Holy Evangeline, we're going to charge her with credit card fraud. And we're like, okay, right on, you know. So they, they, they tracked her down. They interviewed her four or five times. And each time her story changed. And to this day, it still changed. And we asked, okay, well, what, what about her being charged with credit card fraud? Oh, we're not going to do that. Because it was, it was Amber that did that. I'm like, oh, how convenient. My sister's not here to answer for herself. First, you tell us you knew Evangeline used a stolen credit card. And now you're telling us no. And at the same time, they said, oh, we're going to do a lie detector test on her. We asked a question when they, when they, if they did it, they said, no, we can't do that because it's a, it's against the law. The person has rights. Well, why do you tell us all the stuff you're going to do? You make it sound good. And now when you, you got Evangeline in your, in your possession or whatever, and nothing. Oh, you just interview her and you just uh, tell your story and then you let her go. But meanwhile, the CRCC report says she's a person of interest, but she's not treated like one. And when when this whole COVID thing was going on, we had some more meetings with the RCMP and we said, okay, well, what's happening with Evangeline? Oh, once the COVID blows over, uh, we'll try to track her down. You know, a lot of, lot of the restrictions got lifted and nothing. It's only when they feel like doing anything, they'll do something. Yeah. Well, and why inconvenience her life? Blonde hair, blue-eyed white girl. You know what? A lot of people said the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easier all... to pin the credit card fraud on the indigenous girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's irritating. You know, yeah, and then it just it just makes us mad that they tell us all this bullshit. They just think we're a bunch of dumb Indians, but we're not. You know, like yeah. you wouldn't believe the support that we have. Like, what what you're going to be doing here in the next little while? People are going to be shocked. Because yep. it's just, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be shocking to people because it's like, hey, look what the RCMP did again to this family. First they did this, and now they're doing this, and well, again, and we have it in black and white. How are you and the family doing? How are you guys coping with all of this today? Um, well, I think right now, I think everybody's still, you know, we think about my sister every day, but it's just like uh, we're just trying to think of different, different ways how we can get my sister's. Uh, keep my sister's name in the news and the media and social media. So this way we could, uh, you know, people don't forget her, but we're working on some things here. So we're going to be doing a, it's supposed to be a couple of weeks ago, but um, you know, logistics were north of Fort McMurray and it's, um, we're just, we're away from all the media. So what we want to do has to be like in uh, Fort McMurray or in Edmonton. And that's why we're here because we want to be uh, a platform for individuals like yourself that want to use your voice uh, because it does need to be talked about. Things are not going to change unless things are talked about. The RCMP needs to be held account accountable for the mistakes that they've made. 
and it needs yep. to be put in black and white, black and white, like it, it has been for you. But beyond that, there needs to be action taken to fix. Well, those I put, I put, you know, when you have the press, the press conference, like we're going to let, uh, we're going to say some stuff about the report. You know, they said, they, they said they made some changes to the way they do things. So we're going to let the public know that, by the way, if you're going through an issue with the RCMP, you know, this is what you, this is more information for you that you could ask them. I wanted to ask about that conference. Um, do you have any details that you can provide to our audience on this conference that you're holding? Well, I just, um, without, I can't really say without saying what it's about, but, you know, we're kind of want to, only when we release it, then we're going to let the media know that this is what we're going to be having. And only then we're going to say whatever. But the only thing I can say about it is we're going to, um, you know, the big news, we're going to, we're going to release it that, that day. But we're also got some, some good news for families that are going through this, that we're able to get information that could help them with their, with whatever they're, they're going through with their, with their issue with the, with the RCMP. Well, I think that's amazing that you're doing that. Uh, Paul, will you be uh, sending that information over to me once I am able to have it so I can make sure I let our audience know? For sure, yep. Because I, I know some of our audience would definitely uh, uh, definitely benefit from what you're doing. And that's what it's about now. We just want to, uh, we want to help other, other families, other people. You know, people need to be educated that, you know, they, they, they made my sister out to be a young Indigenous girl who does nothing but drink, do drugs. And at one point say, you know, she was a prostitute or whatever, which is, which is bullshit. It's so far from the truth. Yeah, but it's so easier for them. It, I, it must, I don't know. It must make them sleep easier at night, I guess. But it doesn't for us. Uh, it's it's unfortunately very very common, and it's something me and the girls have talked about. Uh, just the high, the at risk lifestyle, quote unquote. We've been, and I say we because I'm indigenous myself, and I've come across it myself in my life. We've been put into this category, and no matter how or what we do or who good how good of people we are we're always in that category and we can't when people are murdered when a life is taken the only thing that should matter is that life was taken and someone took it and that's it it doesn't come yep. down to skin color where you're from how much money you have your life was stolen yeah like i said you know what if if our family didn't do nothing and if people didn't help us my sister would still be laying in the field no word of a lie that's the truth so we're grateful that we we do we do have the help and the resources, but now we're just trying to pay it forward and we want to help as many people as we can because people reach out to us and say, you know what, we go to RCMP. Some of them only want to all they say is, oh, we're working on it, um, and that's it. But yeah. they, do they know for sure? But now we even have a copy of the missing report form that they're supposed to fill out. So oh. now if they take it back to RCMP, you know they can request to see whoever filled it out and to see if it was filled out properly. So my kind of last couple of questions here, well, last question really is what can the public do to help? And I'm, I'm talking everyone in the public. Um, I think the best thing, you know, is just to have an open mind and to think that, you know, don't ever think it's never going to happen to you or to your, fa your family or your loved ones or whatever. Because we come from an isolated community of a thousand people, 
And we never, ever thought that would happen, let alone to my sister. And, you know, it's funny how the world works. You know, people care about all different things, but it shouldn't only, you know, if it doesn't happen to you, you know, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have to care because if someone's going through something and, you know, I like always tell people there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, anybody can be sympathetic, which is good, but being empathetic is like, you know, you, you know what the people are going through and, you know, it's just to have, have an open mind and don't judge us, us first nation people, because, you know, we're just, we're, we're all equal. We are. Paul, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Is there anything else that you want to add to this interview or clear up or let our audience know? Um, nothing really other than, um, you know, the press conference that we're going to be having is going to answer a lot more questions and it's going to, people are just going to have more questions from that. And this is only going to get bigger and bigger and where it's going to take us. We don't know because we don't even know if that's my sister in the graveyard, to be honest. Because uh, let me tell you this, when we met the RCMP, they told my mom, oh, you know, when, when the remains are found, it could take days, it could take weeks, it could take months before I, uh, remains are identified because it has to go through all these different people. But when the, that Saturday, when the remains were found, that night, they, they, they identified it, that it was my sister. And that so was like, oh. dental records? Yeah. So I was like, holy shit, like, that was fast. How come they can't do that for everybody else? You know, and they they can't tell us how long the remains were there, but yet they could tell us how long dinosaurs were in the ground. Yeah. You know? Well, right? Well, and what did, what did, did you guys explain that process to me too, so I can understand that when it was, ident when those dental records were provided to you, how were they provided to you? Like, was it just like, a, here, believe this, like, this is a piece of paper or like. No, what happened was we, we got a call from Fort McMurray. It's by chance we're all in Fort McMurray and remains were found on a Friday, I believe. And then Saturday, you know, we're talking about it. Then all of a sudden get a phone call i was the first person to get the call because that's the way it was set up but i would get the call then i would tell my mom so i get the call an hour before and i remember i was like i see like yesterday and i said i was like it's my sister he said yep he said where are you guys i said my mom's what's the address okay we'll be there so i had to go inside there for about half an hour 45 minutes i was sitting around everybody's all happy because everybody's together you know and i knew that what was coming all of a sudden I heard a knock at the door and walks these people and you know and we're like well <clears throat> you know it kind of blew everybody away there everybody was uh well you know they couldn't believe it or whatever and so so then all of a sudden we started asking questions and stuff and that's where we fall like to this day we're still asking a lot of questions that we were told because we were just told different different things and we followed up on those things that they told us and they were and they were lies. And now when we ask them about it, it's like it didn't matter because I was like, well, why do you tell us? Why do you tell us all the shit there? And then it's not even now when we, we throw it back in your face, you say it's not even true. You know what I mean? Just that's yeah. what I mean. They just think we're a bunch of the minions. But even with the dental records, why of all the places in Alberta, you know, the medical medical examiner never leaves Edmonton. They flew the medical examiner 
the fourth trip to meet with our family. Seriously. Seriously. And we're like, okay, you know, don't get us wrong. We're happy, you know what? We're grateful. We're humble. You had to do all this for my sister. But at the same time, you should be doing this for every other. Uh, doesn't matter what color they are. You should be doing the same thing for everybody else. Yeah. Right? So Absolutely. now so now I said, okay, well, the dental records. So now when they, you know, they're like, oh, you know, it's pretty graphic or whatever. You know, if anybody wants to see it, and they're like, um. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll see it. So I seen I seen the photos, and I said I said I want to see the comparison for dent for the dental records. But what I don't understand is on the dental records, I'm not I'm not no expert by any means, but since then I found out the national dentist and everything. Unless uh, if you get a filling, the filling's still gonna it's gonna stay the same size in your in your tooth unless it gets chipped or whatever. So when I was looking at, at it, and we all all have a lot of common teeth, 32 teeth or whatever, and if we get fillings and, you know, so now when he did a, a comparison, I was like, the filling looks, looks uh, it doesn't look the same shape and size. And he's like, oh, it must be the angle of the x-ray. I'm like, you serious? I said, wouldn't you try to get the best angle to do them, you know? Well, so how can you compare? If the angles off of the X, like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but then again, it's just like we're a bunch of dumb idiots and we can't ask questions. But you know what? You know what gets us the most out of all of this? They they took DNA from the remains. They took DNA from from Jacob. They took DNA from my sister's room, and they never ran a DNA test. Why? Because they're convinced it's through the dental records. We're like. You but what? what's the harm in doing the DNA test anyway? Yeah, and that's what we said. Run the test, we'll pay for it if it's a big deal. To this day, they refuse to do it. There's so many, you could sit in hours, could sit for hours and talk about all the stuff that's been going on with the case. And, uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're working on a lot of stuff. You know, we got some stuff in the works here where people are going to know, they're going to know the truth. They're going to know the truth for my sister. They're going to know the truth for her family. They're going to know what we've done, you know, all this stuff. Exactly. Well, and Paul, I, once again, I've said this once, I'll say it again. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and interview with me and be on our podcast uh, and to be the first example of what needs to start happening with all of these indigenous families. The word needs to get out. Yep. And that's our goal because that's what I do. You know, when, whenever I can, I, Go, I go to different communities. I go talk. I go try to help as many families as I can. Paul, thank you again. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add or ask nope. me? Thank-, thank you again for talking with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Have a good evening. I will. You too, Paul. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you see this a lot in cases where families have gone through trauma. They've lost somebody close to them um, where they kind of, they come together and they just create something really good out of it. But I mean, this is, this is amazing. Like I, it's been how many years and this family is still working so hard. They're just not to, giving up. Yeah. Not only for, for Amber, but for other families. Yeah facing the same I think it's admirable yeah absolutely and it was an absolute pleasure and I'm so blessed that I got to speak to Paul and I got to get to know him on more of a personal level yeah um it's absolutely amazing 
what him and his family are doing. I'm getting the full body chills right know, now talking right? about it. And Paul, if you're listening to this, I, I mean, we all thank you so much for taking the time. And um, we know and appreciate that you're a very busy man and your family's busy doing doing the good stuff. So, and fighting the good fight for, for fighting Amber. the battles. Yeah. So um, much appreciated for you to take the time to speak with us and, and trust us as well. And thank you to our audience for tuning in today. This is our first episode of our new podcast. Uh, we always want to hear feedback from you, but we also want Indigenous families out there to know. If you are in the position where a family member or a friend uh, is missing or murdered and you have information, you want to get it out there, email us. Talk to us. We're, we'd be more than happy to take on your case and get the word out for you. And the amazing thing about this platform, like a podcast platform, I mean, we see so many of these Facebook pages out there, right? But as a podcast platform, it's just a completely different type of media to get the story out to thousands of people. Yes. All over so, the world. All too. over the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like all over the world. Yeah. So I, th I guess we should probably let y'all know how to get in touch with us. Yes. So um, you can email us. Our email is echoesmmpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook at Echoes of the Missing and Murdered. We're also on Instagram at Echoes of the M and M. And new, we have a website. We have a website. So all of the information that you just heard, not all of it, but some of the information you just heard will be available to you on our website. All of our contact information will also be available to you there. Um, you can link directly to the podcast from there. It's really great. I work pretty hard on it. So our website is www.echoesofthemissingandmurdered.com. So I'll say that one more time, www.echoesofthemissingandmurder.com. And please share this as far and wide as you possibly can. Share our socials, share the podcast, share the website. Even if you don't listen, share yeah. it. So we can try to reach as many people as possible that this could benefit. And on that, I'm Auntie B. I'm Christy. And I'm Megan. Thank mm -hmm. you.